Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. On today's episode, an examination of success, of situation, and the misconceptions applied to both. Because you have found success in one walk of life does not mean you will find success in any others. This is a pretty common misconception, something I point out constantly. Now, I was not always this way. Life's experience has taken me down this path where I believe it and I'm constantly talking about it. I think in a certain way, we are all a bit naive until we see hard examples of anything in our own life. Uh, for this idea, this idea of successful people being capable of maybe just not finding success anywhere else, I, I saw this in person. Uh, for me, the hard examples came from my first job out of school, one that I mentioned on Friday's show and I want to dive a little bit deeper into. As I mentioned on that show, my first job out of school was interviewing founders and executives and CEOs about their companies, their entrepreneurial journeys, just kind of picking their brain and, and telling stories about that uh, in print and through podcasting. And going into this, I had the, the misconception in my brain that was just there implanted for who knows what reason, which was a person that I do not know that I have not met that has found a great amount of success in a certain aspect of their life might not be able to mirror that in others. I think the human brain, for whatever reason, just strings it out and goes, oh, you created a business out of thin air that turned into hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, and it makes sense in my mind that you must be very uh, competent and successful in all the ways that you interact and all the activities that you do. Again, doesn't make any sense when you think about it, but at the time, that's what I went in, in my mind with. So I go into this job and I start talking with all these people and interviewing them and they're talking on and off the record and all that kind of stuff. And I start to get a sense of what I now believe in present day and something that I want to talk about on this show. Because my interactions and my interviews with these people, again, really high level founders and entrepreneurs and executives, it revealed the same thing that my own life and my comprehension of the world contain. Insecurities, uh, ego, incompetence in certain areas, uh, ignorance in other areas, just things that come threaded into human experience, being alive and being a flawed person. Things that you very clearly understand and identify within yourself because you are privy to all of those things. But things that maybe don't jump off the page in others until you get to know them even a little bit. And all of this, again, makes sense if you deduce it logically. Would you ever look at a person's true skills that you know and assume that because somebody is good at guitar, they can play it like Jimmy Page, that they would randomly be super good at plumbing. Or if somebody was incredibly good at golf, would you just keep running with that narrative in your mind and go, well, they must be an incredible coder. They could write things from scratch. 
Or if somebody's great at singing, would they be great at hang, hang gliding? I could go on down the list of all of these things, but I think you could answer that. You go, no, of course not. I would never think that. That doesn't make any sense. But when people are in the public eye and we know they're very successful in one specific manner and we're not privy to any other aspect of their lives, I think a lot of times we gravitate into the idea that, oh, this person just must be really successful and competent in all areas. Now, this idea, it's probably, well, actually it is why I get such a kick out of legitimate successful athletes trying to pick up the game of golf because there's no cheat code in golf, as I've spoken to a lot on this show. You can be the most gifted in the world at your profession, any profession, but especially within the athletic world where your profession is based upon athleticism and hand-eye coordination, things that usually translate across the spectrum if you're trying to do a task that involves those skills, and yet you're still going to have to learn the game of golf in the same way that I did and everyone else did. There's no cheat code. It's just work. It's dedication. It's heartbreak. It's baptism by fire. It's all the stuff that I talk about. And if you lean into it, it's a very fulfilling process. But it also is enlightening in the sense that, okay, I like in this one specific area, you really see a prominent, clear example uh, that, again, I will repeat because it's one of the themes that I want to dive into on this show. Because you have found success in one walk of life does not mean you will find success in any others. So this leads us into... The news story that has kind of dominated the recent news cycle over the last week. Urban Meyer, who I would consider to be the most recent proof of concept, though if you pay close attention, and this is in the world of sports and outside of everywhere, if you pay close attention, you can see this idea and this concept everywhere you look. Again, everybody's flawed. Everybody brings a lot of things to the table that you wouldn't look at as the most positive things and go back to the insecurities, the ego, the incompetence, the ignorance, a lot of that stuff, things that I personally have threaded throughout my life, but everybody brings those things to the table. It's just a matter of when you see them or if you see them, then you start to understand and go, oh, okay, this is making sense. So Urban Meyer takes over the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is his first season, was his first season coaching. And Urban, we know he is one of the greatest college coaches of the last two decades, he won every single stop. He was a winner at Bowling Green. He was a winner at Utah. He took them to an undefeated season. He was a winner at the University of Florida, where he won two national championships. He was a winner at Ohio State, where he won another. Again, one of the most successful college coaches of my lifetime. Never had made the jump to the NFL. And he's on Fox as an analyst, and he gets lured out of retirement to take over the Jacksonville Jaguars in this offseason. And there's a lot of excitement surrounding the move, and there is some apprehension. The excitement is tied into, this is a guy who is very successful as a college coach, and we always like seeing what that means when you try to break through at the NFL level, and the apprehension is tied into that specific process and the understanding that NFL coaching is not the same as college coaching. Yes, in some ways, it's similar. They're both football coaches at a very basic level, 
But if you understand the nuances that go into uh, the transition there, you realize these are very different jobs. Uh, and there's a reason that there hasn't been a lot of coaches in the history of these two sports that have crossed over successfully from one to the other because they're very different things that you do as a college coach that you do not do as an NFL coach and vice versa. For Urban, one of his great strengths as a college coach was his ability to recruit and just stockpile talent. We saw that really, really heavily at Florida and at Ohio State, the two places he won national titles. And that's a moot point in the NFL, obviously. It has nothing to do with recruiting. And the other thing, the way that Urban acted and treated people at college, it's kind of a different ballgame when you are treating your team as your subordinates, as as the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds that they are and, and in your mind, saying these are kids and I'm the grown adult in the room and I will show them everything and teach them how to do everything because they need that because they are children. That also doesn't cross over to the NFL because the NFL, these are grown adults and they are professionals. So the way that you actually interact and treat these people, it's going to be a different dynamic. What those people uh, expect and what those people feel like is crossing the line, it's going to be a very different standard than an 18-year-old. I'm sure that all of you listening understand that within your own life. The things that I was willing to put up with and just take uh, as, as part of the situation, say, yeah, this is how it should be when I was 18. It's very different from how I feel when I was 30. And not only did I feel a little bit more wiser, whether or not that's true is irrelevant, but I felt that way. But more importantly, you get a greater sense of showing respect and receiving respect from other people within life. That's a big thing within the professional world. I, again, have felt that in my own professional journey and just the way that you interact with people. It's very different than when you were 18. So Urban Meyer flames out. It's a, it's a complete and absolute disaster. He's fired this week amidst all sorts of stuff that has been ongoing since the day he was hired. Now, I will say that I, and I don't think a lot of people, expected the most spectacular coaching catastrophe in recent memory. But a lot of this explains some of it as we're going back over in retrospect and trying to understand what happened here and, you know, what does it mean for the future and just other transitions in general for coaches from college to the NFL or vice versa. This not being able to treat anyone like an adult, as Urban really showed over the tenure of his less than a year, the, the Jaguars, that's probably not great. Uh, being generally disinterested in any of the details that pertains to a football team, that's probably not great. Something that Urban showed a lot of, especially in his case, when his entire NFL brand was supposed to be built upon the details. He's not running the offense. He's not running the defense. And so I'm going to hear, and I'm going to tie up all the loose ends, and I'm going to be the overseer, and I'm going to put things into place and let all these supposedly talented coaches and players cook. And I will just have final say, but I want talented people here and I want them to do their thing, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get in the way of that. I'm just gonna come, and I'm gonna tie blue ends, which makes sense as a, an overarching concept. That's in the business world how a lot of people who have built successful businesses they function. But 
you need to actually do those things. You need to treat people like normal humans and you need to have talented people in your organization and let them do their thing. So there are gaps everywhere across this entire journey of Urban Myers, the coach of the Jaguars. I don't think there's a lot of talented people within that organization as I'll get into a little bit more from management to coaches to players. And Urban right at the forefront of that list showed, yeah, this is not something that you are ever going to be successful at. You are one of the most epic flops in quite some time for a coach that came into the NFL, regardless of expectations, but with the expectations there of this is an incredible college coach, we should be getting something here. It was about as big of a flop as I can remember within my life. Now, this whole saga, it continues a long-standing tradition from the Jaguars franchise, who, with the exception of a few seasons, sprinkled throughout the last 25 years or so, they've been a pretty incompetent franchise. And this ties into the other thing that I'm really passionate about that I think is always important to discuss and understand while it's playing out. Uh, whether in this off-the-field stuff with Urban or in on-the-field stuff, as I want to talk about uh, over the course of this weekend and over the course of this season. So this idea of success, um, there's no way to guarantee it, obviously. But when you look at the entire all-encompassing sphere of everything that ties into this, that's where my, my mouth starts slobbering because you know that I love talking about situation. And within this journey and trying to find success in some form, there's no way to guarantee it on the individual side, which we obviously saw with Urban. He played a big role in that. But his situation, to be fair, I don't think it's great. And on the flip side, there's no way to guarantee success for the individual if you build the perfect situation because maybe the individual's talent is not what you thought it was or maybe when it comes to transitioning slightly from uh, maybe a college coach to an NFL coach or, or something along those lines. Maybe the skills that were prevalent and needed for one, they don't necessarily cross over to the other. So Urban, very clearly, not cut out to be an NFL coach. But when you start branching out and thinking about this combination, individual and situation, when I branch out and I think about this, I start to feel a lot more forgiving about how things play out. Maybe not in this specific Urban Meyer instance because I just think he was bad at what he was supposed to be doing and I don't think that he cared. That was the vibe that I got. But in most instances, it leads me down a pathway of forgiveness where I think, I, I don't know. I think this person might be pretty talented and maybe they were failed by their situation or vice versa. I think maybe, you know, this situation was actually kind of good and maybe the individual failed on the other side. It's understanding those two things in unison, one of the interesting things about sports, one of the interesting things about life, and not necessarily trying to get to a point where you go, I know for a fact that the individual is responsible for the success and not the situation, but it's understanding how these things work in unison. It's thinking on the business side and going, how many great businesses fell by the wayside because it was the wrong place, wrong time, wrong time for the idea? So, 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 so 
many. Again, I'll go back to my first job and the vast majority of these founders who ended up with incredibly successful businesses, the journey was years and years and years. And a lot of them echoed the same story at the start when for five years or eight years or 10 years, they were working on this specific idea that translated into hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars. But they were working on the same idea. And for one reason or another, a lot of them would say those specific words. Uh, at that time, it just maybe wasn't catching on because uh, people weren't that into that idea at that specific time. Could be a brilliant idea, but if people don't want to get behind it in business, there's only so much you can do. And maybe if your idea is way before its time, maybe it never comes to fruition. Uh, and you're just sitting there 10 years later going, ah, I thought that was a really good idea, but you know, on the consumer side, it proved that it wasn't. And then 10 years after that, somebody else takes the same idea and it's a billion dollar enterprise. Again, I think there's a lot of that threaded into human experience in general. Just, uh, it could be the wrong place, the wrong time for this. Or on the flip side of this, how many great companies have been submarined by incompetence at the most important positions? That's how the individual ties in. And we've seen that these companies that are built up and then either the incorrect hires or just founders really trying to take over and maybe not being equipped with the skills for that specific time. Maybe they were great building it out from zero to 500 employees, but building it up into a worldwide conglomerate, they were not prepared for that. And the business flamed out. That's how this stuff works in unison. It's why one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies is Inside Lewin Davis. If you haven't watched it, you should watch it. I think it's really good. It's a great musical journey. But the idea in the movie is something that I find very valuable and interesting because it's kind of an alternate Bob Dylan tale. It's about this folk singer who goes around and you hear him play all these songs and it sounds beautiful and he's very talented, played by Oscar Isaac. It's really cool. It's a good just movie in general. It's a good musical experience in general. But it was very mind-opening for me at the end because the crux of the movie, you just kind of see Bob Dylan in passing at the end, playing in the same place, and you get this sense of, oh, sometimes this is how this stuff works. Uh, and it leads me to a question in my mind of how many people are truly gifted and don't find success for one reason or another? A lot, I think. Uh, the more that... I pick this apart and come at it from an analytical side and just realize, oh yeah, I probably should have more forgiveness in this specific area than maybe I do. Now, all of this leads us into the Jaguars rookie quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, who is not playing particularly well this season. Uh, I, I came across, I was reading an article from Kevin Clark at The Ringer and I came across this line in one of his articles that I want to share because I think it's awesome. The great tragedy in young quarterbacks is that so many of them do not fail. They are failed. End quote. That mirrors how I think and feel. Uh, I obviously think about quarterbacks a ton. And I think about how gifted you have to be to get into the NFL on a practice squad, on an active roster, as a third string, second string, and up to being a starter. And within this journey, when you eliminate the very best and the very worst, let's say take out the top 5% and the bottom 
that middle 90%. And again, I want to stress, I'm talking about players with incredible talent and incredible potential. All these people amongst the most gifted in the world, it their profession. I think that that middle enormous percentage, they're in large part considered to be successes or failures based upon what they are surrounded by. This is one of the most common themes of the show. I've talked about it in the past and how it pertains to quarterback specifically. The idea that situation is everything. There are reminders of this every single week. I feel compelled to talk about them and show them every so often because I just think it's important to understand this particular concept. And the way that we talk about it as fans and cover it as media, I don't think is necessarily true. If you want an example, there's a great one that came from the Sunday night football game. Tom Brady at home with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're 12-point favorites against the Saints. This seems like they're going to cream them. The Saints are banged up. They got Taysom Hill starting at quarterback with nine fingers. Uh, Sean Payton's out, their coach, with COVID. It's just, it looks like it's going to be a slog of the game. I bet the under because I'm going, I think the Saints can do something on defense, and there's no way they can move the ball on offense. And that's how it plays out, but it plays out in, in a very aggressive manner. And I'm reminded that even for a person that a lot of people, uh, not me, but a lot of people believe is the best quarterback of all time, and a lot of people believe he should be the MVP of football this season. Again, that is not me. I do not believe that. But I think the majority of the football-watching population believes that. And last night, we see Buccaneers on offense. They're already missing Antonio Brown because uh, he, he faked a COVID card. He's been suspended for a couple games, so he's not playing. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, they both get injured in the second quarter. So now the three outside weapons are gone. Uh, Brady's still got that great offensive line, which didn't play particularly well last night. He's still got a Hall of Fame tight end there in Grob Gronkowski. He had Fournette, who then went out with injury. Now he's handing off to Ronald Jones, who actually played reasonably uh, in spot duty. But you see the situation diminish from what it normally is. A situation that at full strength, I and a lot of people believe is the most talented, top-to-bottom offense in football. Great offensive line, playmakers everywhere, and a good quarterback under center. So that's not there. Situation diminished. The individual, Tom Brady, a lot of people believe is the MVP. A lot of people believe is the best quarterback in the history of football. He ends up throwing 48 passes last night for a mere 214 yards. That is 4.5 yards per attempt. That is not good. He accounts for no touchdowns. He has two turnovers. Uh, one crippling fumble when the Buccaneers have gotten inside the red zone and he tries to scramble and Cam Jordan hits him from behind. It pops out. Lattimore recovers, ends their drive, and an interception that essentially seals the game near the end. Buccaneers get shut out. They do not score a point. So you see this, even within a quarterback that is really good and a lot of other people believe is the best. Now I'll make a quick note. This is why I have always argued and I'm always arguing for Aaron Rodgers over everyone as the best quarterback that I've ever watched. This is why. Because as you parse through this idea, this is the only quarterback in my lifetime that I have watched that I have seen continually transcend situation. He's the only one. And it's not to say that the Packers have been garbage the entire time he's been there. When they have put a good situation around him, we've seen them win a Super Bowl in 2010. 
We've seen them have an incredible offense in 2011, that early window from about 2010 to 2014. That was a good situation. And the Packers won a Super Bowl. They were an onside kick recovery away from playing for another in 2014. They were the number one seed in the NFC in 2011. There was a really good football team. And we're seeing that again when Matt LaFleur has taken over. What situation can do? And we flip-flopped with Rodgers and said, he was on the downside of his career with Mike McCarthy and he's bad. And then LaFleur came in and revamped the offense. And now he was the MVP of football last year. He is, without a shadow of a doubt, the MVP in football this year, though he will most likely not win it. But we're understanding situation applied to Rodgers. Now, when the situation was not there in the mid-2000s from about 2015 and 2016 and 2017, and even earlier this season against the Arizona Cardinals, we have a lot of examples of Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback who is capable of transcending situation, who you can throw just flotsam that came in from the seas and say, we got to do something with this tonight. And he'll go, I understand the situation of the game. Okay, I might not have the greatest stats tonight, but we're going to milk the clock. I'm going to make the throws when I need to be aggressive. I'm going to try to make them. Uh, and we'll try to win 20 to 13, or we'll try to win 17 to 10. And I'm going to control this game as kind of a puppet master. We've saw that in the mid-2010s. We saw that earlier this season against the Arizona Cardinals when the entire receiving unit was out with COVID. And the entire offensive line is already out because they have been all season playing behind a makeshift offensive line, including on Sunday against the Ravens when Packers are down four of their five starters on the offensive line, and they're still scoring 31 points in that game. Earlier this season against the Cardinals on the road on a Thursday night, they still end up winning that game because Rodgers is the puppet master. And the combination of him and LaFleur, who has created magnificent game plans to account for people who are lost, that combination has been really, really, really good. Now, this is why I argue that he should be the runaway favorite for MVP this season. If you look at every metric on a per-play basis, he is better than everybody by leaps and bounds, just like he was last year when he won the MVP. We saw in the one game that he was forced to miss this year because of COVID, we saw what the Green Bay offense looks like with Jordan Love under center and the same stuff going on. They were a absolute train wreck. They looked like a ninth grade junior high offense. A lot of that was because Jordan Love was duffing it into the dirt. But a lot of that is because that puppet master aspect of Rodgers, the comprehension, the knowledge, the understanding of situation and game and what I need to do and what we have at our disposal, that was gone. That was not there. So I mentioned Rodgers and Brady. And I want to go back a little bit to trying to find success at the quarterback position. And there's no perfect method that guarantees success in this avenue. Rodgers, his upbringing was different from Brady's. Rodgers, he sits for three full years under Brett Favre, and he learns. They don't have to rush it because they already have a Hall of Fame quarterback under center. Very unique situation and incredibly advantageous for Green Bay. They were able to hand off the torch and perfectly, and Rodgers stepped in and was awesome from his first season, and he's been awesome ever since. Brady, he has a similar situation, but not the same. They have a little bit of an advantage there in New England because they already had Drew Bledsoe. So Brady gets drafted. He sits for a full year. He only attempts three passes his rookie season. And then Belichick understands there's something there with him. And he goes, all right, you know, year two, we're throwing you into the fire. We want you as the starter. We think we can grow with you. And he steps into the finest situation a quarterback could ever step into from that first season when they end up winning the Super Bowl. 
defense, best coach of all time uh, as his career went on. Paired him with an incredible play caller in Josh McDaniels. Started giving him weapons. Here's Corey Dillon. Here's Randy Moss. Here's Wes Welker. Here's Julian Edelman. Here's Rob Gronkowski. Here's Aaron Hernandez, so on and so forth. Uh, another quarterback who ended up being an all-time great, just like those first two, Peyton Manning, who had a very different upbringing. Drafted by the Colts, and you don't have the luxury of sitting because of the situation we have here at Indianapolis. It's going to be baptism by fire. You are the starter in week one of your rookie season, and it did not go well. Colts go 3-13, and Manning's rookie season. He's blasted every game. He leads the league in interceptions. He throws 28 of them his rookie season. Uh, and luckily, Manning was talented enough, and the Colts ended up putting enough things in place that we got a sense of, okay, this quarterback is really good, despite the fact that we watched him his rookie season and went, oh, no, I thought this guy was supposed to be a sure thing. We just needed to see the situation improve, and then Manning was able to improve along with it. Drew Brees, that's another all-time great, and he followed a different path from the first three, all of these all-time quarterbacks. His early career was a slower burn. He plays his first five seasons in San Diego. He kind of eases in. Um, he plays reasonably well the last two seasons. But it's not until he moves to New Orleans and signs there at the age of 27, pretty far into your career as a quarterback, that we saw the Hall of Fame breeze created. It wasn't until that point. It's not to say that Breeze was bad before any of that stuff, but I just think that we saw more of what situation can do for somebody, even somebody that really is incredibly talented, which I think a lot of people would agree Breeze is. We saw that if you get this guy on an indoor track playing eight home games a year at the Superdome, if you give him playmakers and get them moving around with a lot of speed on this indoor track, and if you give him, most importantly, in my opinion, Sean Payton, one of the most gifted play callers and schemers of his generation offensively, then you're going to get a whole grundle of passing stats for Breeze, and you're going to get one Super Bowl title and a lot of really good Saints teams. Now, on the other end, you can, you can kind of cheat the system for a while with quarterbacks that may not be as talented as we initially think. I kind of think we're seeing that play out with maybe a, a Jimmy Garoppolo or, or players of that caliber. When you get them in San Francisco and on the right game, you go, I think this guy's really good. And on the wrong game, you go, he's not spoon-fed stuff. Do I think he's even good at all? And you can't make up your mind. A good example from the past would be Robert Griffin, who came into the league as the number one or the number two overall pick. Heisman Trophy winner out of Baylor. His rookie season with Washington, he's anointed as the next star because he's awesome. Electric player, really incredible season for him. He leads the league in yards per attempt passing and yards per attempt rushing. Think about that. Pretty incredible combination. He leads the league in interception percentage, just not really turning the ball over. He has 27 combined touchdowns. He carries Washington to the playoffs. He's injured in that playoff game, but the future looks just incredibly bright. And as it turns out, that was not true. It was lightning in a bottle. It was a flash. Maybe people were a little bit unprepared for that style of play. Who knows? It could be a lot of things. But two years later, Robert Griffin is in and out of football. Uh, the situation was able to kind of just create some sort of a mirage that spoke to, this is going to be a 15-year incredible NFL career. And two years later, he's just, uh, I might not even be in this sport, much less good at it. So this goes back to 
what I've been thinking about this week throughout the Urban Meyer fiasco and what remains and how all this stuff applies to the quarterback situation. So there's no perfect method, obviously, to obtain success in any of these areas. But whatever the Jaguars have been doing this season for Lawrence is certainly not the correct path. So think back to Manning, and we saw him not play well his rookie season. It's not to say that this will always be so. But at some point, sooner rather than later, you are going to need help. So it's alarming to me that the Jaguars draft a sure thing number one overall. And then in his first season, they've surrounded him with a, a complete shit show. Uh, that The shit show of Meyer, this roster that is just lacking talent up and down. And the ownership group that is doing the drafting and making these free agent signings and letting all these talented players walk over the last three years, that just keeps barfing all over itself. That's very alarming to me, a person who believes in situation. And you start thinking, okay, at, at what point should... I, just as a fan, start panicking about this. The Jaguars, they should be in full panic mode because they just keep tripping over their own shoes. And you got to understand there's a finite amount of time for this quarterback, A, to be on a rookie contract, but B, almost more importantly, how long does it take before this situation is not only untenable within the quarterback's mind, but it instills negative habits and thoughts that are really hard to take away? How long does that take? Even for somebody who is as talented and as gifted as Trevor Lawrence, something that everybody on planet Earth agreed on coming into this season. I come across a tweet yesterday from Football Perspective. This is as the Jags are playing the Texans. And this is it. If the season ended today, Trevor Lawrence would be the first player in NFL history to throw a touchdown on less than 2% of his passes and throw 500-plus passes in the same season, end quote. I was looking at a lot of metrics, before this show because A, I like to do that because I'm a perverse man. But B, I wanted to look at the top end and the bottom end because I was wondering where Aaron Rodgers was in relation to his peers at a lot of this stuff. And as it turns out, he's just dwarfing them. And I also wanted to look at two people who I felt pretty comfortable were on the extreme negative side, but I wanted to look at that to make sure uh, as far as the, the nerdier, really analytical side in Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, kind of his peer and, and one within... A pretty similar situation. And across the board, both of these people, they're just in the bottom five in the league in almost every possible conceivable metric that measures how good are you on a per play basis? How much are you bringing to the table for your team uh, as they try and score points? Just really easy stuff to understand like that. There's these bar graphs that have you know, the stat down the left side and the stat down the right side. And if you're on the top right of the quadrant, it means you're balling out. That's where Aaron Rodgers resides. There's all these bar graphs. And as extreme as Aaron Rodgers is in the top right quadrant, the bottom left, which is the worst place to be because it means you were incredibly bad in both those, that's where Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are living. And I think about Zach Wilson along these same lines as I'm just perplexed by what is taking place. And how, how the Jaguars are doing what they're doing with Trevor Lawrence and how the New York Jets are going down the exact same path that they were going down that they went down with with Sam Darnold. That's what they've been doing so far this season. How is Zach Wilson getting wheeled out behind an offensive line that cannot block? 
How is he doing that? We already saw how that ended for Sam Darnold for the last three years. Did we not just watch that over and over? It doesn't matter who you are. If there's not an offensive line that is blocking, it is going to be very, very hard to find success. That's true of the most gifted play callers ever. But a rookie quarterback in that situation, they're completely set up for failure. That's what we're seeing. So you see miniature flashes from both these players. A throw here, a throw there. That you go, oh man, if you could channel that more. And that is true because both of them have been inconsistent in just their ability to throw the football continually. But I think a lot of that is tied into rhythm and situation. And when you are expecting a pass rush to demolish you on every play, it becomes really hard to just trust your routes are going to be run and you're going to have the three seconds needed to throw this specific route. It just becomes hard to do that. That's where uh, this push and pull comes in. And you go, how long before the situation is untenable? How long before negative habits and thoughts are installed that do not go away? Something we saw to a T with Sam Darnold when he's saying, I'm seeing ghosts last year against the Patriots. He would drop back and he'd get happy feet and he'd start looking at the pass rush and moving around and he couldn't concentrate and throw downfield. How many times do we have to see this particular thing play out? How can franchises continue to think that a quarterback can atone for all the sins of the franchise? So I'll wrap this all up because I think all of this stuff ties together. I just It's a continuum and all of these thoughts that I put forth on this show, I think they are all connected. Including the one that we started the show with, with Urban Meyer. And how this all ties in together as we talk about coaches, quarterbacks, situation, individual, all that kind of stuff. Because you have found success in one walk of life does not mean you will find it in another. Even when it looks like a simple linear transition, as it does in a lot of these cases. People think if you were really good as a college coach, you should be good as an NFL coach. That is not how that works. People think if you were really good as a college quarterback, you should be good as an NFL quarterback. That's not how that works. Those are two different things. They seem similar, but they're very different. Even in something that seems as simple as quarterbacking the same team week to week, but having to weather COVID and injuries and all that other stuff, even within that, what looks like a simple linear transition, even that is not simple. And it doesn't mean you're going to find success from one week to the next. Again, think back to Tom Brady against the Saints. That seems simple. Well, yeah, okay, Brown's out and Godwin and Evans get injured a quarter and a half in, but there's still a lot of stuff on that offense that you can work with. And the defense is phenomenal and they're not going to score any points. As it turns out, the Saints were able to muster up nine points. You would still think that Tom Brady would be able to step in and do something there that would allow the Bucks to win the game. But that's not always how it works. Individual situation, how much is expected from both and how both of those reflect upon each other. If things were as simple as we sometimes talk about them being, the NFL would be the most boring place on earth. Instead, it is the most interesting and dynamic. And a lot of that is because of all of this stuff. It's because evaluating individual and situation in unison is one of the hardest things you can do in life and in sports. 